And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, June 10th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law on this episode. We're going to spend a little bit of time in the AL East, a place we haven't spent a ton of time in the last few days on this podcast. We've got a top prospect coming up in Toronto. Uh, I think I'm ready to take an L on one of the big free agent signings of the offseason, also a Blue Jay, so we'll talk a bit about that. We'll talk about what is now being dubbed by me, at least, as the Aaron Judge problem with free agency uh, on the horizon for him. What are the Yankees going to do with Judge long term? What should they do? at least in the, the eyes of, of one Keith Law. And we're going to talk about Shane McClanahan, who is fantastic. I think he's reached ace status, and it might be a co-ace situation, too, with Shane Boz nearing his return to the Rays. So those topics and a few others along the way. But Keith, let's start in Toronto. Let's start with the debut that's coming this weekend. Gabriel Moreno, their top catching prospect, comes up and, and adds yet another high-quality all-around player to a lineup that's beginning to find its stride and look more like the team we saw a season ago. And I guess my question is, how do they make the pieces all fit playing time-wise with the catchers that they have on this roster? Well, this happened because... Danny Jansen has a fracture, right? So he's going to be out for some period of time. And frankly, probably won't be 100% for a bit. Even when he's back and ready to play, he may not be quite uh, ready to produce at the level at which he was producing before the injury. So I think there's a real opportunity for Moreno here. And I... uh, He was my number six prospect in all baseball coming into the season, number one in the Blue Jays system. Obviously, I'm a big fan. And he can... It looks like he can really hit, it, particularly just the contact rate. Uh, his ability to put the bat on the ball, I think, is the thing that will allow him to handle the transition to the big leagues. Uh, you know, fully acknowledging that we've seen lots of very good prospects come up to the majors and struggle right out of the shoot. C.J. Abrams, Jared Kellenick, Spencer Torkelson, a lot of guys have not produced the way we expected, even just based on double-A, triple-A performance. I like Moreno's odds because of that contact skill. Um, And so my expectation is they can split time with him and Alejandro Kirk behind the plate. And eventually they're going to have to make some kind of decision, right? What is, you know, Moreno is their best prospect. I think just about everybody, maybe everybody acknowledges he's a better long-term bet. He's probably a better short-term bet, but definitely a better long-term bet than Kirk. Do I mean a productive player who's able to stay behind the plate? And they're going to have to make some kind of decision on, well, what does that mean for Alejandro Kirk, who is probably an everyday catcher for a lot of teams? And so do they trade him? Do they you know, try to use him maybe as they approach the deadline for whatever it is else that they decide that they need? 
And, you know, assuming that Moreno plays well enough in the next five, six weeks, and then Jansen comes back and he can just be the backup catcher, which is probably the ideal alignment for them. Just that Kirk, Kirk's a very good player. It's just they don't particularly have a need for him if Moreno turns out to be the guy I think he will be. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it. It's an opportunity in the time that Jansen's on the IL for Moreno to show that he's ready. If he proves it, then they can solve the problem you know, when that time comes, once Jansen is is back in the fold. But making that switch does not seem out of the question at all. And, and Kirk is such an unusual player. I think you and I have talked about him before. Mm-hmm. The, the back of the baseball card stats, you look at it and go, whoa, that, that guy? That guy's in the big leagues? But he, he hits. hits the ball hard. Hits decent number of, of line drives. And I don't know if, uh, if he'll end up ever being a, a full-time catcher over a full big league season, that is. But he might be the kind of guy that can be a uh, a split player that finds 120 games between catcher and DH and who knows, maybe someday on the right team, he picks up a glove and plays a little bit of first base or something too, just to, just to get in the lineup a little more often that way. Uh, but how does Moreno compare to Adley Rutschman? Adley Rutschman was your number one overall prospect going into mm-hmm. the season, pretty small gap between them at one and six on the yeah. overall list. I mean, what separates them? Rutschman being a little older, a little more uh, college player, a little more experienced, more, con- I had greater de- a greater degree of confidence that he would be ready this year to reach the majors and be productive. Then, of course, he got hurt, so he only gets to the majors two weeks before Moreno did. Um, and because he's a little bit older, I think he'll probably be a little more productive in the very short term. If you're asking, what's the next you know, season's worth of games? The next 365 days would probably lean towards Rutschman. Rutschman also has more power. I think he's going to be. Uh, at least comparable in on-base skills, more weighted towards walks, a little bit less on the batting average side than Moreno, but with more power. And Rutschman is a little more physical, a little better built for catching, where Moreno's had some minor injury stuff so far. He's missed some time. Nothing that I think affects him necessarily long term. But when a player does get when a player gets hurt often, you're concerned he's just going to continue to get hurt. I mean, this is the Byron Buxton problem, right? Byron Buxton might be the best player in baseball if he plays 162 games. He has not done so, and it seems unlikely that he's going to do so. So I have a little bit of that concern with Moreno, less of that concern with Rutschman. As you said, it's a slight difference. I mean, honestly, one through nine, one through 10 on my top 100 ranking coming into the season, I think nine was Julio Rodriguez, which in hindsight is probably lower than he should have been because it looks really looks like he's going to stay in center field. Whereas coming into the season, just given his frame and the speed I'd seen from him previously, I thought there's a decent chance this guy ends up in right for a larger chunk of his career. But honestly, you could take one through nine. All those guys I thought had a chance to be superstars. Um, And I would still say that on most of those guys, even even with, you know, C.J. Abrams struggling in his first exposure, Torkelson, maybe not as advanced a bat as we thought, small sample. So I'm not giving up on him necessarily. But anybody in that one through nine group, you could say, yeah, this guy's got a chance to win an MVP award at some point. And I wouldn't argue. I think they all have that potential. We were pretty deep at the very top end of the minors this year. Of course, I think maybe none of those guys will qualify for my rankings by the time we get to next (laughs) winter because a huge chunk of them are are I think all of them except maybe two have been in the majors so far this year. And Riley Green looks like he's going to be back pretty soon. Yeah, he's making progress in his rehab assignment. I think he's maybe off rehab, but he's still at AAA Toledo. That debut doesn't seem like it's that far off for Green. The, uh, the, yeah, the name that comes up also as part of this conversation is another player that hasn't debuted, Francisco Alvarez. He was in your top 10 at number eight. Uh, yes. I've heard some people suggest that this is a great time 
in the minor leagues for catching prospects, that there's some mm-hmm. very high-end talent all you know, kind of bubbling up to the surface together. And I guess that's true. I mean, based on the, the ranking, you've got you got Diego Cartaya, who's a little further away at 13. You had Henry Davis at 20 on that initial set of rankings for this season. So it is a better a better class than usual of, of prospect catchers. But it's kind of funny because they're not all coming up at the same time. And it's also, it's potentially coming ahead of some changes to the game with maybe automated strike zones or things that would make things that we've valued traditionally in catchers less important. So I'm, I'm really curious to see long-term how, how this plays out. If the game changes, will this group of catchers be as productive as people hope they're going to be? Will they hit enough to to live up to the expectation if if defense becomes less important due to things that are out of their control? By the way, you're right. Alvarez is the only guy left in my top nine once Moreno debuts who will have not appeared, who has not appeared in the majors at all. Shane Boz hasn't this year, but he has been in the majors so far. So that's, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. I think historically, if I go back on my list to have eight of the top nine already have major league experience by it's June 9th as you and I are recording this. Yeah, that's pretty unusual. And we could really end up seeing eight of those. So eight of the top nine guys graduate completely, which is fine. Uh, It's going to make my future lists a lot more interesting, (laughs) at least. Anyway, to your question. Yes, I think it is a historically great time for catching prospects in the minors. This this crop um, and I think it's cyclical. I don't think there's a particular reason for it. Um, there are always, anytime I do the list, right, these positions are not uniformly distributed. There will be, there are years where there'll be a ton of shortstops up top. That happened a couple of years ago. There will be years where there's a lot of catching. There'll be years where, there will be years where there's more pitching up top, even with the, you know, higher attrition rates we see for pitchers. We're just, it wasn't one of those years this year, at least. The one thing I'll say about, you know, the, we all think the automated strike zone is coming at some point. I did not put together these rankings. I did not weigh that particularly heavily. I have never, I've always thought framing was a little bit of a fake skill and not fake in the sense that it doesn't exist, but like you're taking advantage of uh, basically a, a flaw in the machine here. And that is not, and especially because when framing first was, identified or 10 plus years ago, there were huge gaps between the best framers and the worst framers. And then teams realized pretty quickly they could make most bad framers into adequate framers. And so the gap between best and worst shrank pretty substantially in a couple of years. So if somebody said to me, you know, this guy catcher catches okay, throws okay, he can really hit, blah, blah, blah. One thing is he's not a good framer. Yeah, whatever. Either one, a lot of framers get better. That's a skill that most teams have determined that they can at least improve. They can make take you from terrible to adequate. And two, it's possible that won't even be a thing at some point in the next couple of years. So I weighted that less relative to all of the other skills I would be considering when ranking players. And so, and I don't think any of these guys like I, said, I terrible framers are probably just terrible the other catching stuff too. At this point, if you can't, if we can't make you a good framer, we're probably just not going to make you a good receiver, and you're going to end up in another position. All of these guys that we're talking about, Cartaya, by the way, already promoted, went back to low A, posted a 400 on base again, 405 on base, 550 slug in 33 games, repeating low A. He's been at high A for a week and already has a 455 on base. So, yeah, this guy, I think, I feel okay about my ranking of that one so far. He's really good. Um, but I, I, I don't think that part that you mentioned, the 
coming of the automated strike zone. I don't think that matters in the long term in terms of my rankings. I wouldn't change any of these. Ultimately, whether it's next year, two years from now, whatever it is, we're going to be back to a point where we're evaluating catching for the traditional stuff, receiving, blocking, eh, a little less throwing. I you know, I like to see a catcher with a good arm, but you and I both know it's, we, those days of the 80 stolen base a year guys are not coming back anytime soon. And then the, the, the finer things like game calling that are just kind of difficult to for anyone to assess. I think even internally, players have a hard time assessing their own catching prospects, game calling abilities. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that I almost think comes back to what your pitchers tell you about your catchers, how, how yes. they feel. You can look at the results, of course, too, but I, I think that's really hard to see, especially when you're trying to analyze prospects who are working with pitchers who aren't all necessarily prospects themselves. Right? They can yep. only do so much with the pitchers that are that are on the mound in those cases. I'm circling back to current Blue Jays for a moment. It just hit me in the last couple of weeks that I might have been wrong about Kevin Gossman, just relatively speaking. I think when we were talking about free agents a few months back and we were ranking the various free agent pitchers, I had concerns because during the second half of last season, Gossman more or less became a two-pitch pitcher and, and was not having the same kind of success in the second half that he had in the first half, even though he put together a great season with the Giants. Looking at what he's done so far in Toronto, he's got the sub-three ERA, 73 Ks, and 64 and two-thirds innings. The walk rate is just fantastic. He's keeping the ball in the park, and I think most importantly, to ease my little mind, it's fastball splitter and some more slider, right? We're seeing mm-hmm. increased slider usage that's in line with what we saw from him, geez, four or so years ago now. And maybe I'm worrying too much about something on the margins, but it definitely makes me think he can keep something up much closer to the level we've seen, really going back to the start of last season, if we're looking at overall performance over the last 14 months. Yeah, and you saw flat little flashes of it before he got to San Francisco. San Francisco, I think, really just sort of stabilized two things with him. One where he was standing on the rubber, it put sort of permanently undoing the change that had started with the Orioles, where he was, you know, Buck Showalter and his pitching coach uh, at the time wanted Gossman all the way on the third base side of the rubber, claiming it would give him more same side deception because of the lack of a real breaking ball. He gets to San Francisco, they make that permanent, and they also really, frankly, allow him to be much more who he was, fastball splitter, primarily. Like that's your that that's your bread and butter. Um, the increased – I don't think the slider is ever going to be more than a third pitch for him. It's viable, though. And that's probably the best you're ever going to get out of him. I don't think he needs it either. I think you know when you've got a splitter that's a legitimate out pitch, you can be a starter as a basically a two and a half pitch guy if that second pitch is a splitter or a really good change up where you're just going to avoid those platoon splits and where you have just enough of a break. And well, it's not a high spin slider. It's just, it, I think it's more effective because he doesn't use it that often. And a lot of hitters see it coming out of the hand and they're thinking, is it the splitter? I don't know. And then by the time they figure it out, it's maybe a little bit too late. And that's fine. That's, I think that's all that he's going to need. It's the, I think the, the biggest thing to watch with him is, the you know he's generally had pretty good control he has become sort of pragmatics like in whatever 10 11 starts this year does that last I, you know his walk rate was pretty consistently in the six to seven percent most of his career six or seven percent rate and now it is 2.6 percent which is among the best in baseball even if he ends up at four percent that's just another level above what gossman showed us last year 
and is doing that, by the way, leaving pretty good place to pitch in San Francisco and going to a slightly homer friendly park in Toronto, uh, which is even more impressive yeah. that he's able to do that. And if he holds that, yeah, you got a legit number one starter. I thought we had a group of number two starters in free agency this offseason. Small sample, but if that new new control level is at all sustainable for Gossman, then he was the best one. Again, it seems like it's at least somewhat sustainable thus far. I'm I'm impressed to uh, to say the least. Not mm-hmm. that he cares. Not that anyone else actually cares that I am impressed in this situation. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Staying in the ALEs, let's talk about the Yankees for a moment, that team that no one ever talks about. And let's talk about one of their players that no one ever talks about, Aaron Judge. I'm actually pretty surprised that center field's not going poorly for him. It's going, mm-hmm. it's going fine. He's doing fine in center field so far. First and foremost, he is healthy. It is great to see a healthy Aaron Judge. I like watching him play. Guy hits missiles. It's fantastic. The big question, and I, part of me hates even asking it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. The reason I hate asking this question is because I think sometimes we should just enjoy the show. Just, just sure. enjoy what's happening and deal with free agency in October, November, at that time of year, right? Whenever the Yankees season is over, then talk about Aaron Judge leaving. I'm going to ask it this way. Did the Yankees make a mistake by not finding a way to give Aaron Judge a long-term deal a few years ago, to buy out some years of free agency, given his age, right? He's 30 right now. And I think yeah. committing seven or eight years to a 30-year-old, no matter who that player is, is something that teams are increasingly reluctant to do and just comes with a lot of risk regardless of who that player is. So I looked at this situation earlier this week and I said, they're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't because if they sign him and he's like any other player by the end of the contract, far from the player he is when he signs it, Brian Cashman and that front office will be criticized. And if they let him go and he's productive and mashes for three, four, five years somewhere else, they're going to get criticized for not signing him because he's been so good for the first half of that contract. Is that fair? Is that a fair assessment of Judge that the opportunity to extend him and keep him a Yankee without falling into that trap past maybe two or three years ago? Yes, I think that's accurate. And we're doing this with hindsight, right? So just to be clear, we're, we're, we have the benefit of seeing what Judge did the last couple of years, uh, whereas the Yankees didn't have that. And if the Yankees had whatever concerns they may have had, that he was injury prone, if they were concerned about players' his size not aging well, I'll get back to that in one second, those were valid concerns. If they had particular reasons why they didn't extend him, why they chose not to. Uh, you know, Some of those have been alleviated by the last couple of years of production. Some haven't. But I, 
I feel like it is it's fair to criticize them as long as we're clear, right? We have more information now than they did at the point where they chose not to extend them. And now I agree with you. They're in a pretty tough spot where, like you said, they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. If they don't and he goes somewhere else, I have no reason to think he's not going to be productive next year, the year after that, et cetera. In the the next two, three years, he could be MVP level good again. Um, and so they're going to look pretty bad if they let him walk and someone else signs him and then those years are somewhere else. If they extend him, the problem with doing it now, right, is you are probably extending him at least through his age 35 season. I cannot imagine he'd be signing a deal that's shorter than that. And the history of players, his size, his height is, one, it's pretty limited. We just have not had many position players that tall who've appeared in the majors at all. Most of them have appeared in the majors only very briefly. And the ones that we've had generally not aged very well. Frank Howard's probably the best uh, example of someone whose career is sort of completely, completely over. Um, and I've at age 33 was his last peak season where he was still outstanding. Fifth in the MVP voting, had a tremendous offensive year, led the majors in or led his league, at least in homers and walks, which seems like you know, sort of a, an Aaron Judge sort of skill set. And the next year, he was just a good regular. And after that, he was he was basically done as an everyday player. And thir- he age 36 was actually his last season. Richie Sexton aged worse than that. There's just not a lot of good precedent. And I understand every player's unique and players today are different, built different, different conditioning, etc. I still think you have to look at the historical data on this and say, yeah, there's a lot more risk with a player who's six, seven, that he's going to get hurt, that any tiny loss of bat speed with age for a player who is already prone to strike out a lot just by sheer dint of his actual size also adds to the risk of this. You know, if Aaron Judge wants a six or seven year deal, and as is absolutely his right to ask for that, you know, I'd probably be inclined to say we can't we can't do that because the probability that the last two to three years of that deal are just disasters for the club is pretty high. You know, I would rather give him a higher AAV and say we'll go four years. And we'll pay you, you know, two to three million extra per year versus what you might be looking for on a six-year deal. That's going to be less money guaranteed for Judge in the first place. You could argue he'd go back out to free agency after age 34 if he wants to do that. But to try to avoid that, you got a pretty good chance of some dead money at the end of a contract of that length. And that is almost entirely based on just the historical rate of players his size and the fact that he has had some injury trouble in his career, which seems to be consistent with players who are six, seven or, or taller. A little bit of a mix for him, too. I mean, some of the stuff is the fluky hit-by-pitch type injuries that have cost him mm-hmm. some time. Some of it is the stuff. There's a lot of him stuff. to hit. Yeah. Right. Big target, unfortunately, yeah. for him. Uh, but it's it's just the strange timing sort of thing, and it's a great season for him. And I think the thing that's also extra difficult when you're analyzing Aaron Judge, that swing and miss that's been there for most of his career, that's been down going back to the start of last season. How long does it stay down in the 25% range? Is that a three, four-year thing that we're getting right now, right around age 30, that's going to jump back up into the 28, 30, 33% range at the back part of the contract. It's a really difficult situation to navigate, just given who he is to that organization, how productive he's been, and and for all the reasons you mentioned, projecting him going forward. Uh, But do this, Yankees fans. Just don't sweat it. And I think the other thing, I guess if there's one way out of this, the Yankees win a World Series this year, that maybe softens the blow a little bit, right? 
Mm-hmm. Atlanta fans are, are banging on the table. They're like, no, we, we're still mad that Freddie Freeman left. That didn't matter. Didn't didn't heal it. But maybe, maybe that would help. Staying in the AL East, uh, I want to talk about Shane McClanahan because I'm beginning to uh, to push him in my mind into the the elite of the elite group of pitchers in the league. We're talking about a guy that really does everything. He's got four pitches working right now. Strikeout rate is fantastic. Walk rate's very good. If you're picking nits, the home run rate is just a little higher than a lot of other true aces. We're talking about guys that maybe are top five or top 10 starting pitchers league-wide, but I see that sort of, of ceiling and maybe maybe even a present sort of value on Shane McClanahan. And I think the thing that I'm always wondering about with him is relative to other pitchers that have come up and reached this level, especially this quickly, it seemed like there was less hype around McClanahan relative to those pitchers when he came through as a prospect. Um, I think that's probably true because there were a lot of concerns about him going back to college. I believe he was a Tommy John guy before he got drafted and he uh, struggled some. I was actually at the outing his draft year where he, he had some long scoreless streak and had a scoreless first inning against University of Connecticut. And in the second inning, they hung a six spot on him. This is after he hadn't been scored on in something like four or five outings at that point. And I was like, well, clearly I just put the whammy on him. Because obviously you know, he was he was fine until I showed up. Um, you know, I do think that that was a decent part of it. It's a tough delivery. It is an unusual delivery for a starter. I think if you go back to stuff I wrote, I was pretty um, bearish on his possibility of being a starter because um, because of the arm slot, because of the way the arm works. Thinking that it's it's tough to repeat. It gave right-handers a pretty good look at the ball, uh, which to his credit, it's not been an issue for him this year at all. Basically, no platoon split. Uh, and pit, opposing teams barely even let left-handed hitters face him. If you can stack the lineup with all righties, you do that against McClanahan because the arm slot makes him so difficult on left-handers. Um, and I do think it's interesting that he's doing this, even though he's throwing, you know, he's got to change up. He's able to turn it over actually quite well from that arm slot, but that's only 20% of the pitches he's thrown. He's getting right-handers out with the entire pitch mix. Um, and I think a lot of that is just his command has turned out to be exceptional. And if I think there's one real story here with McClanahan, how did McClanahan go from being a guy who technically wasn't actually drafted in the first round? He was drafted right at the beginning of the comp round um, after the first to somebody who is uh, potentially a number one starter. Uh, assuming he holds up and, and maintains some of what we've seen from him so far this year, it is that the command that he was not at any point. There was no point at which I said to him, that's plus command or that's going to be plus command. He threw strikes, but it was nowhere close to this. I mean, I think I, did, I don't know what I wrote at the time. But I think if I go back to what I said about him in college, I probably had him 40, 45 present command at that point, And he hoped it would get to average. I think he's better than that. Right. Quite a bit better than that right now. And if that holds, if that turns out to really be the new skill level, then yeah, he's going to be, he's probably going to beat everyone's hype. I'm sure there were folks, I think MLB had him on their top 100 at least once. I did not. Um, I think he's beating all those expectations because nobody, nobody that I know of forecasted this jump in command. I mean, hell, if we did, he would have gone 15 picks higher. Sure. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I, I wonder with with guys like McClanahan and, and so many pitchers having better stuff because of all the different ways they can design pitches and add velo Mm -hmm. and movement. If we have these guys that at least when they're either in the minors, even before they're drafted, they almost can't command 
the filth that they're developing. Like they're, they're, they're getting the movement. They're getting everything they want the pitches to do, but that consistency is lacking. And then that makes it really difficult to figure out like, okay, is this just the guy that can spin the ball, but doesn't know where it's going? Or is this a guy that's going to figure out where it's going eventually once he kind of grows into the stuff that he's been able to develop? Yes. I think that's, that is also accurate. I think, you know, a lot of guys, I don't know if this is specifically true with McClanahan. I think it is, but I'm not 100% certain. But I will say it's at the general level, it varies more by team, team by team than player by player. But the players who weren't able to do anything in 2020, whether they just went to the alternate side or were stuck at home, some of them did do pretty significant things to change themselves during the time away. Anthony Volpe in the Yankee system, you know, really remade his body. I think remade his swing. And suddenly was able to get to more power because the combination of those two things went from a guy who looked like he might never have more than fringy power. Now, I think legitimately has plus power, at least raw. Uh, That's an example. It just came to mind of somebody who in 2020 used that time away to remake himself. Um, And I know that the Rays were obviously the Rays are one of the best run organizations in sports, too. And they do a really tremendous job with player development. They do a tremendous job with pitching development. I can't believe they've gotten Drew Rasmussen to make a handful of starts without blowing out. He's already had two Tommy John surgeries. Um, And so the fact that 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 McClanahan is doing this in the Rays system only mildly surprises me as opposed to I I guess I won't name names. There are certain (laughs) other systems where I'd be like, really? They did that? It's very nice of you not to uh, put names out there. Feeling it's, magnanimous today. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Shane Boz coming back soon, too. So Ray's getting even stronger in that rotation this weekend. I think Saturday against the Twins is uh, going to be the season debut for him. So McClanahan and Boz yes. at the top Big of that fan. rotation is it's fantastic. I mean, longer term, I think the way you were describing McClanahan was he's definitely better than he was. And you're generally like on board with what you see. I'm curious if you still believe that Shane Boz is just better, which is not at all a slight at McClanahan, but just gives us an idea of how much ceiling they have with those two guys at the top of that rotation. Yeah, I, if Boz stays healthy, he's number one starter. It's it's incredible stuff. He throws a ton of strikes. He's a you know fringy command, but I think he's going to get to above average to plus command in time. The delivery works. Um, he's already showing me enough. He has shown enough at a young age that I think even just sort of pretty natural progression for him um, would get him to above average to plus command in time. And there's multiple ways to get you out. It's pretty ridiculous stuff. And he's, I find him pretty fascinating. I remember somebody at the time they saw him in high school, uh, another scout, it's somebody I respect, worrying that he was the classic, you know, throwing 98 at 18 and throwing 88 at 28, where like just, too hard, too soon, doesn't hold up. And we are seeing little shifts in the industry now on the amateur side where teams are starting to get a little bit away from just chasing the big velocity high school arms, which we've done as an industry. And, you know, some of my older rankings were just as guilty of that. You know, Tyler Kolek being probably the most prominent example. He's giant. He throws 100. He was the second pick in the draft. And he got hurt and he didn't throw strikes. And he's one of the more disastrous high picks of the last, you know, probably 15, 20 years that we're starting to move a little bit away from just chasing pure stuff. And you're seeing even teams like the Royals last year taking a kid in the top 10 who was only throwing mostly in the upper 80s, but had the curveball and the delivery and multiple other other things in his favor. Boz is a counterexample so far 
at least, of a guy who was hitting 98 pretty regularly in high school and just had really had tremendous stuff uh, across the board. And it's panning out almost exactly the way you would want it to if you just were sort of projecting the best case scenario for a high school kid who's already at such a young age throwing that hard. I mean, so far, so good. And once they get, honestly, once they get to age 20 or so, I worry a bit less about that, right? Any Obviously, any pitcher can get hurt at any time, but you worry the most while they're still teenagers. And a lot of it is how they're used. It's part of why I rant all the time about these college coaches overusing pitchers, especially this time of year. And Boz had the advantage of getting into two systems, actually, when he was with Pittsburgh. Whatever you want to say about the previous regime's player development, they did not overwork their pitchers. They were very, very cautious about how they use their pitchers. And he was went from there to Tampa Bay, which is obviously one of the best pitching development organizations in all of baseball. So he's been in the right places too. And that's I, this is all exciting. Like I'm not saying this is anything against Boz. I, I always find it interesting when somebody is the counterexample or, or just breaks you know what we think of as a particular framework. This is a guy who, no, actually, big Texas kid, throws real hard, gets in a pro ball, still throws hard. And just keeps getting better, 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 better. A little bit every year, a little bit every year. And by the time you got to the majors last year, it's like, yeah, this is everything that the Pirates hoped he would be when they took him in the first round. Was that five, six years ago now? Yeah, I remember I saw an interview. Jesus, this was probably before the pandemic started. It would have been coming off. Was he in the fall league in 2019? Does that sound right for a year? I saw an interview yes. someone did with Boz, and the way he was talking about pitching and, and what he was trying to do, it kind of gave me the, okay, th- th- he has a plan. Like He understands yep. how these things work, and it's not just stuff. It's stuff with intent and stuff with some ideas about how those pitches should interact with each other, how hitters are going to try and attack him and how he can attack back. And I don't know if there's a good way. I mean, when you're trying to scout amateur players, it's collecting information from people who are around the kid. I mean, how, how else do you get a sense of whether or not a player really gets it and has a true game plan at the amateur level? It is extremely difficult to know that about a pitcher, even in college. So few college coaches let pitchers call their own games that you're guessing. Hmm. You're mostly guessing. I think Zach, did, Zach Buchanan wrote a piece on... Uh, Ryan Murphy, prospect in the giant system out of Lemoyne in upstate New York, which has only produced um, recently Josiah Gray is the, really the only prospect that that school, other prospect that school's produced. Back in the day, I think Tom Browning went there. There was at least one other significant big leaguer who went there. But uh, point being, this isn't an SEC school. It's not a baseball factory. But in that piece, he said that the coach at Lemoyne lets the kids call their own games, which to me is, I, I mean, so much to that coach's credit. It is tremendous because it is an acceptance. You know what? We might lose an extra game here over the course of the season, but I'm developing these kids as pitchers, not to mention developing developing them as human beings, right? This is part of raising a child. If you're a parent is you're scaffolding them. You're gradually increasing their autonomy and their sense of independence. As they get older, you let them do more things. They might make a mistake here or there, but that's how they learn. You also build their sense of independence. I don't think this is any different as opposed to the pitcher who basically never gets to call anything of his own on his own at 21 is drafted, thrown out to pro ball. It's like, what do you want to throw? I don't know. I never had to do that before. I just, you know, I, I mean, I'm joking, but you know, you picture the kid who's, you know, an ace for Arkansas gets out to pro ball, turns to the dugout. It's like, what do I throw coach? 
I don't know. Right. What do you What do you want to throw? This is. I would much rather have this the the Lemoyne approach. And some school. There are a handful of schools in Division One that do do this. Um, I I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone in high school where I where at least I was aware that they were calling their own pitches. But uh, it would be pretty high on my wish list. Certainly, if people were asking me, what do you want to see more of in amateur baseball? Let these kids call their own games. They'll figure it out. They'll make some mistakes and they'll learn from it. And they'll be so much better prepared for pro ball. For the ones who don't go into pro ball, guess what? They've earned a nice life skill too in terms of not calling pitches, but in terms of learning more independence and autonomy and taking responsibility for what they're doing. Yeah, I think if if you coach kids really at at any level, I coached high school soccer for 11 years. I did not know that. You're full of surprises. Yeah, one of the first years I was coaching, I had mm-hmm. someone who had done it a little longer than me already had, had come up to me and said, I really try not to yell anything onto the field while we're playing because it, at yeah. that point, it's joysticking and it means we're not prepared. Like we're not every once in a while, there's some urgent situation where you can relay some information and that's fine. But mm-hmm. you should not be without a voice at the end of the game because you spent 90 minutes directing your players while they were trying to play, let them like play, that. let them solve it. I thought that was really, really good advice because high school level, especially kids need to learn kids need to problem solve. And I think that extra information from a different perspective can be wrong. You as a coach can actually direct your players incorrectly in the situation because they might have information they have picked up while playing that you don't actually have from 50 yards away. You're not you're not right there. You're not shoulder to shoulder with those players. You're not in the actual situation. So I think that'd be amazing if we saw more amateur players calling their own games. And I think they'd be you'd be surprised. The the typical person would be surprised at how much young players would figure out in any sport. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the nano experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Post-operative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I wanted to talk about uh, something I saw while perusing some minor league leaderboards and it kind of relates to pitchers just being better across the board than they were even a few years ago. I was looking at Corbin Carroll's results so far at double A. He's having a great season at that level, hitting 306, 427, 622. Fantastic number, 15% walk rate. Uh, it's a 162 WRC+. plus. What I like to do when I look at minor league players, I just put them on a, a multi-year split leaderboard over at Fangraphs, and then I chop it down to get comps based on age, right? Age to level is still a pretty big deal just to understand what kind of player you might be looking at. So I filtered it all down and either I think I cut it off at age 22. So it's players that are a year older than Corbin Carroll is now and some guys that got to double A when they were younger. And what really stood out to me, Keith, is that relative to some of the other players that were also very good at a similar age at that level, Corbin Carroll's strikeout rate was a, a tick higher than I expected at 24.5%. And at first I thought, okay, maybe there's a flaw here. I thought about it some more and maybe not like maybe this is just something that's part of the upper levels of the minor leagues right now where if you're comparing Corbin Carroll in 2022 to let's say Kyle Schwarber in 2015 the quality of the pitching that Kyle Schwarber was seeing at double a seven years ago was probably lower than the quality of pitching that Corbin Carroll sees at double a today in 2022 is that a a fair assessment yes I think so I think the quality of stuff let me qualify that, but at least, right. right, that are the pitching prospects necessarily that much better in terms of the other stuff, the you know, feel for pitching, command, control, et cetera. I don't know. And I certainly think the caliber of play in AA has taken a bit of a hit in the last, certainly post-pandemic. Um, God, the quality of play in low A, for, I think, is, has taken the biggest hit because of the, by eliminating short season leagues, we've had some players pushed up to low A who probably would have been in short season, meaning an extended spring training until June and then playing short season. And there's been a bit of a ripple effect of pushing guys further up the ladder, maybe a bit before they were ready. So overall, I feel like the caliber of play at the full, all the full season levels has, has been a bit worse. That said, you know, the joke is, but it's not even a joke, right? Any, anybody rolls, any right-hander rolls out of a major league bullpen. He's probably throwing 95 at this point. I mean, guess what? They're, kind of doing that in double A now too. I go to double A games and, you know, if a reliever comes out and he's throwing less than 92, 93, I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially if he's right-handed. It's like, well, that's not a guy, which is unbelievable to me, right? 20 years ago, it would have been like, what? Okay, take the pen out, get the radar gun going. We got a, we got a prospect here. Now it's like, okay, here's the next. <laughs> so there's definitely some of that going on. Also, I think just strikeouts are just, they're just up across the game, right? This is just... This is our environment. We're not, we have de-emphasized avoiding the strikeout. We've de-emphasized the two-strike approach. You know, Corbin Carroll is doing so much damage on contact. I kind of get it. Why would you tell this guy to cut his swing down or just, hey, just put the ball in play? Pretty good chance if he puts the ball, if he just swing, has his normal swing, 
regardless of the count, if he hits it, he's going to hit it really hard and it might leave the park. Now, that may not serve him well when he gets to the majors, right? I could see Carroll, if they brought Carroll to the majors right now, even with this incredible performance, pretty good chance he's going to punch out 30 plus percent of the time. I, I, I don't even think that's an outrageous prediction here. And then he'd have something to work on. And by the way, when he, you know, Amarillo's a decent place to hit. And I'm a huge, huge Corbin Carroll fan also, so I'm not denigrating him. But is a good place to hit, especially when the wind's blowing out. And then at some point, he's going to go to Reno, which is a ridiculous place to hit. So it's not like he's got some interim step here where he is going to get to work on these things. He's going to go to Reno and accidentally hit 15 home runs <laughs> in, the, in half a season. Like that is not conducive to telling a guy, we need you to work on your two-strike approach. Two-strike approach, coach, like every third breaking ball is a dead hanger. Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, there, the pitch data on Carroll is pretty good. Like he's He is hitting off-speed stuff. Obviously, he's destroying fastballs exactly as you'd expect. I don't think there's no evidence he's having trouble with velocity. He's hitting off-speed stuff well enough. I think he's going to have to cut down on that a little bit at least, but I think the overall, the um, what we're seeing from him is more than more than satisfactory, right? He is he's not chasing out of zone very much. He's not after uh, he's not struggling excessively on off speed stuff. He's better against right handers and left handers, kind of what you'd expect. But he's still getting on base enough against left handers that you're not saying, okay, there's a real platoon split issue here. If he goes to Reno, even, I assume they'll send him there at some point. And the strikeout rate goes up, even in the higher, out at the much higher altitude in a better hitter's environment. I might start to ask, okay, what, what are we looking at here? What are we, what, what is causing this? Whereas if he gets to, they may just at some point just say, the heck with this. We need the, we need the boost. Mm-hmm. Let's just bring him right to the big leagues. Wouldn't be surprised because I still think, and I'm trying to end where we started on your question here. <laughs> Now, your point about double-A pitching is, I think, valid. At the same time, there's still a big difference between double-A pitching and major league pitching, right? So that when Cor- if you bring Corbin Carroll, any double-A hitter who's succeeding, up to the big leagues, and then he's going to see a big league slider and say, oh, okay, that's new. He's probably only seen a handful of those over the course of the season, and he'll see it much more frequently when he does come to the big leagues. So I think that answers your question. In, in conclusion, <laughs> Corbin Carroll's a guy. Yeah, Corbin Carroll, definitely a guy. There's two players at Double A this year that are similar in terms of their just overall production and age to level stuff, which is just surprising in one case, at least. Ezekiel Tovar in the Rockies system. I yes. feel like it's there's a lot of shade thrown on the Rockies, and I think most of it is deserved, but they deserve at least something, some kind of pat on the back, a small trophy for the season that Ezekiel Tovar is having. Uh, he's, he's doing everything you're looking for. There's power, there's speed, there's a great slash line from him. He's got a 168 WRC+. And I think mm-hmm. that's the, on my leaderboard, which I cut down to, now it's 21 and younger at AA since 2010. Mm-hmm. It's a top 10 he's season. He's 20. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's younger and than he's a lot of those guys. He's striking out less than Corbin Carroll. Right, striking out less than Carroll, drawing walks, playing shortstop. Yep. How big of a step forward is this? How how, how much of a, of a guy has Ezekiel Tovar become with what he's done at Double A so far, I think it's fair to say. I hope I'm not revising history a little bit here. He's always had pretty premium tools, but the question, you know, wasn't always translating into performance. And the question, especially after he had a promotion late last season to High A to plate discipline, pitch recognition's not that great. I mean, he was only there for about five weeks in Spokane, but he really struggled a lot, and it was um, he 
yeah, 266 on base. It was not just contact, not uh, not so much swinging and missing, not so much striking out, but just you know, quality of contact. The results on contact were not very good. Was, all right, this guy may be – he's 19. He's got a huge upside, but he may be several years away. Uh, honestly, when I saw that he was getting promoted to Hartford to double A after basically doing nothing in high A at the end of the last year, I was like, yeah, Rocky's going to Rocky. <laughs> I, I take it back. Right? Good job by them. That's he has more than responded. He has stepped up. Um, he is uh, he's already passed. He's got 21 walks this year in 48 games. He had 17 walks all of last year in 104 games at lower levels. Like that's generally a pretty good indicator when you're moving up and getting better results like that. He's going to end up certainly with more home runs this year. He's already got 12. He had 15 all of last year. So I am. Uh, and I think, frankly, he's at a worse hitting environment. I don't think that's a huge factor with any of these parks, but it's something for him. Uh, yeah, he's pretty legit. And now it's honestly, do you like him or Zach Veen better? I think I still take Veen, but it's getting pretty close. And that's, you know, Tovar was not on my top 100 coming into the season. He would absolutely be on my top 100 at this point because the main reason, the, the biggest thing was, is this guy going to be, honestly, it's, is he going to be able to get on base enough? Right? Does he have enough of an idea of the strike zone? He's one of those like sort of swing first, ask questions later. But he is getting the better results on contact and also taking a lot more pitches um, to be able to get to those better strikes, to have better results on contact. You couldn't ask for more. For a player like him, a player who has pretty big tools, but production doesn't match, this is exactly the kind of progress that you want to see. And I think there's some similar progress that we've seen from Gunnar Henderson in the Orioles system. He just got bumped oh, up to yes. triple A. I mean, the K rate yep. last year, he spent most of the season at high A, 65 games at that level, 30.1% mm-hmm. K rate. That would. Yep. Saw him there. Even at age 20, I'm thinking, okay, that's a bit of a problem going forward. It gets the double A, 18.3% for the strikeout rate. I mean, just completely fix that and yep. walked more than he struck out. He had a 19.7% walk jump rate. Out. Wow. Right? We don't see that anymore. Like that's so rare. Really impressive, yeah. especially considering where he came from. But even if he had done something similar at high age, just doing that again at age 21 at double A, that would have been impressive, but it's even more impressive right. given the changes that, that took place. Uh, I mean, how much of a, of a riser is he with that performance now that he's already at triple A? I actually wonder where he was definitely on my top 100. And actually the main reason it was on my top 100, I think more than anything was um, elite defense at third base. He was 73rd. Okay. But I, fortunately I already had that tab open. Um, My wife yelled at me for having too many tabs open last night. I'm like, there's no such thing. Yeah. How many tabs do you think you have open right now? I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. On the window that you can see, but there's six more windows hidden behind that. No, no, no. I don't do that. That's how she does it. She has a better organization system. She has one instance of Chrome that is just work-related tabs and one instance of Chrome that is like personal-related tabs. I give her credit. My wife's much more organized than I am. Uh, but she was like, this many tabs stresses me out. I'm like, what do you mean? This is my this is normal for me. Mm. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, Henderson, but it was that he is – like he can play short, but he's like 70, a 70 or better defender at third base. And But I had some swing concerns last year and the swing was you know you kind of get grooved and sort of locked into a very specific path um and that what i was seeing from him at aberdeen and hearing this from scouts too was his adjustments when pitchers would change speeds on him were he was having trouble making those adjustments and it looks like so far we're about two months of a sample it's a decent sample for a guy with some history of performance already 
so far so good. It looks like he's getting there. And I'm glad they just promoted him at this point too. It's you know what, you got this. Right? A player like this, this skill level, keep him moving. Cause I have I think I've criticized the Orioles a little bit for slow playing some of their prospects. They're honestly they're not this year. They have clearly decided, okay, it's time to get the hitters, time to get these hitters moving. They have bumped a bunch of their hitters up already. Some of their better guys from high A have moved up to double A. Henderson going from double A to triple A. It's a shame about Grayson Rodriguez. I actually kind of low-key, nobody with the Orioles had said any of this to me, but I had low-key thought we were about to see his debut in the next, like maybe in his next two outings. And now, unfortunately, given the timing of his, he's got a strained lat, grade two strain, probably keeps him out until end of August. And by the time they ramp him up, he may be a fall league guy rather than coming back for the regular season, which sucks because I really, I thought, I thought the plan all along was Rutschman comes up and then Grayson Rodriguez comes up. Maybe D.L. Hall comes up some point after that. And they just, every couple of weeks, another great Orioles prospect debuts. I, I Unfortunately, that's not quite going to happen that way. Yeah, and this is a 0% me casting myself as Nelson Muntz. I, I, look at, I look at pitching and I just think, just get the guy up in case this happens, right? I'm not trying to laugh at the Orioles at all. This is not an Orioles problem. This is a no. pitchers get hurt and then you can't develop them at the level you want because you waited too long sort of problem. And I'm not saying it's an easy decision to make. There's other things you want the pitcher to work on. You know, so be it. Let it happen at AAA. But mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like the Orioles had the easy path to just let it happen. Bring Grayson Rodriguez up very early in April. Let him get some big league innings this year. And even if their cap and their usage, they use pitchers in unusual ways anyway. Even mm-hmm. if their cap for season innings had expired in August, at least then he pitched most of his 2022 innings in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Fall league will be more fun if Grayson Rodriguez is there. It's fun anyway, but you know, nice name to have out there to see. And he'd probably oh get a God. pretty healthy volume of innings just because of the time lost. Yes. Like they would let him be there. Maybe the entire time. Yes. Oh, and he'd be the best pitching prospect out there. I feel pretty confident saying that even without seeing rosters. Um, And he he is, I have no idea what the Orioles are going to do about this. I've not talked to, I mean, he asked. And I'm sure they would say, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. He would be the perfect guy for Fall League, though. This is absolutely how I want to see all teams use Fall League. Which of our pitchers, pitching prospects, just got hurt, didn't have enough time, Rather than rushing that guy back for the last couple of weeks of the minor league season or the last two, three weeks of the major league season where you're working on an artificially compressed timetable, we're just going to have him go to fall league and make five starts. And plenty of teams have done this. I'm not saying something revolutionary, but to me, it should that should be the default. Which pitchers are we sending? Boom. Which guys do we have who are in the Grayson Rodriguez situation? Some teams do that. Some teams are like, we're not sending anybody good to fall league. Fall league is such a tightly controlled experience for the pitchers. You know, you can send a guy there with pretty strict rules about here's how we want him used that you don't get. I mean, it's why a lot of teams would rather, if they're going to send a pitching prospect anywhere, rather send him there than to one of the winter leagues in Latin America, which are more like real baseball because people are really playing to win. They take it a lot more seriously, but you don't have control over how your players are used down there. And so for hitters, I would just say, yeah, go play in Puerto Rico, Dominican, wherever. It's great. Great experience. Great atmosphere. With a pitcher like Rodriguez, where you want to be extra cautious with him coming off of a pretty significant, you know, grade two strain is a partial tear of the muscle. So that's no joke. Um, you'd want to send him to some place like Fall League where you could say, we're going to use, you need to use this guy very specifically with these limits. And it would make 
you know, now I'm speaking selfishly, you make the league better. The complaint about fall league for years has been the quality of pitching keeps declining because teams don't want to send their better, better pitching prospects there because they work too much during the season. Grayson Rodriguez would be a, a perfect guy for that. I was hoping last year we'd see D.L. Hall out there. He just wasn't ready to come back from an elbow injury that fortunately never needed surgery. And now suddenly D.L. Hall, he's going to be the, you know, look like Grayson was going to get there first. Now it's going to be D.L. Hall who's looked really good so far this season. I love the fall league, but the the defense and most years the pitching leave a little something to be desired. Yeah, it's fair. There's a lot of relievers who throw 98 and have no idea where it's going. Yeah, which, you know, every once in a while you, you find a gem while you're mm-hmm. out there. A lot of times you're oh, just sure. watching guys issue a lot of walks, yep. you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just how yep. it goes. Uh, last topic for today. You got to look at Kumar Rocker last weekend. Uh, who did you see him pitch for? Who did he pitch against? And how did he look? So he went to pitch for the Tri-City Valley Cats from Troy, New York, formerly a short season club before the pandemic, now an independent league team. Rocker was the 10th overall pick last year to the Mets, did not sign the Mets uh, after they brought him in for his post-draft physical, found something that caused them to walk away completely. They did not even make him an offer. And so that puts him back in the draft pool for this year. Rather than return to Vanderbilt, he goes to pitch for an independent league team. This was his first outing. There were, I think, five scouting directors there that I saw, plus one GM, uh, AJ Preller, uh, because of course... He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Yes. San Diego to Albany for a couple hours. Sure. Why not? The Roy Kent of GMs. <laughs> so Rocker, uh, he was supposed to throw about 45 pitches. He ended up throwing a little bit more than that. For three innings, he looked fantastic. It was 95 to 98. Slider and curveball were both above average to me. I know lots of people are like, he's got a plus slider. He's got a plus slider. It's not always there. I've seen him multiple times. Um, and more often, I've seen the slider be more like, it's good, but it's not a wipeout pitch. Changeup was an afterthought. He does have one. I think he could throw it more and it could probably get better. Size is still there. I did think he'd lower his arm slot a little bit, which is a small concern going forward. Just like to know why. What's the thinking with that? But he, for three innings, he just carved up this little independent league lineup. And the fourth inning, the command started to slip a little bit. He gave up a home run. He hung a breaking ball. Whatever. That happens. It was more that he tapered off. Now, is that just, hey, this is this guy's first actual game action in 12 months. So around, you know, I think he'd thrown 38 pitches through three innings. And then the last inning, he was probably, you know, prepared to throw 40 to 50 and just started to fade a little bit. Or is there something more than that? That's That would be, I'm not going to go back and see him again, but teams will. Any team that might be considering him, they'll go back. And that's the thing to watch for, right? Can he just continue to hold it? This was not a concern necessarily last spring, but now that there is this consideration of, is there something wrong with his arm that made the Mets walk away? They've never said publicly, they won't, what it is. But you just got to watch for little signs like that, um, that if just to make sure he is, you know, as he builds up, that his stuff isn't tapering off as much. I think he's going to go to a team that's trying to contend this year and views him as somebody who could come help their bullpen immediately and then go back to the minors next year to try to be a starter. Padres could fit Mm. that. Phillies could fit that. Their scouting director was there. That doesn't mean they're taking him. I'm just thinking like philosophically, who would really be a good fit for a rocker, especially where you think maybe there's some chance that five years from now, he's just hurt. And we, you know, the, future return on the investment at that point is is zero can a team that would really benefit from having him come to the majors right now because i will say when he showed the first three innings of this outing what he showed the first two innings when i saw him in may of 2021 would get big league hitters out 
He overpowers guys with the fastball. And then because they're so geared up for it, he spins either of those breaking balls, especially right-handed batters have a real hard time laying off. Like it once through an order right now, I think he could help a big league club. Maybe not be a maybe not be a high leverage closer, but just a weapon out of the bullpen. I absolutely think he could do that. And maybe that's where he where this ends up settling in for him, as opposed to a rebuilding team saying, we're going to take him and slow play it, build him up to be a starter. He goes a little bit later to a team that's in contention and says, no, we can get value from Rocker right away. And why wouldn't he want that? He ends up getting more money in the end if he's selected by one of those teams because he starts making a major league salary. Yeah. I mean, the Padres pick at 15, Phillies at 17. Are we talking about a first round pick for Rocker still? Those are the scenarios where he goes in the first round, I think, to a team like those where they see immediate value. If those teams choose not to take him for whatever reason, he's somebody's second pick. I don't think we go through the order a second time with him still going unselected because the opportunity cost of your second pick is lower. At that point, uh, you know, if you believe, if you reach out, I mean, we all know he's has Scott Boris. There's no reason to hide that you reach out and say will you know would, would kumar rocker agree to this dollar figure at this pick if he'll sign with your second pick whether that's in the sandwich round or in the early in the second round i don't think he goes around a second time without getting selected i don't think it's a guarantee he goes in the first round but after seeing what i saw and seeing who was there and hearing what everyone was discussing afterwards i do think there's more of a chance he goes in the first round than i did a couple weeks ago where i was like you know, teams may just be way too scared off by an unknown medical. This isn't a known medical. This is, we don't actually know what's in there. And so that may just make teams really risk averse. But now it's like, we got our proof of life, right? He's throwing real hard. The body's still good. It's huge. And it's power stuff. And if you just tell that guy, you've got your, Kumar, you're in for 30 pitches today. You know, give it, go get us five, six outs. I think he could do that for a big league club in a sixth, seventh inning role. And a part, you know, just a, you know, you'll eat, you're easing him into the big leagues, but you're also trying to get real outs out of him. I'm fine with that. I really think he can do that. I tried to push it a little bit last draft season. Boston, also there. Think about it. The accent. Pick 24. Kuma, it's possible they get the need in the bullpen. Now pitching for Boston. Right-handed pitcher. Kuma Raka. That sounds a lot like Mayor Quimby. This woman is not my wife, but I am <laughs> sleeping with her. Yeah. On that note, uh, we need to go. Uh, if you'd like a subscription to The Athletic to support the two hosts that are on today or the hosts that are on other days or you know the fine writing we have, go to athletic.com slash baseball show. $1 a month for the first six months will get you in the door. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday. Have a great weekend. 